So we are continuing the series, uh, our summer series, as we're spending some time in the Gospel of Matthew, and specifically on the Sermon on the Mount. And again, the Sermon on the Mount is, is a message that Jesus shared, uh, not just with his close disciples, but with a larger crowd of people that came around and, and followed him. As, uh, as he, This was early on in his ministry, but yet Jesus had already started uh, to create a buzz, right, of his his healings, of his teachings, and kind of all that, that, uh, that, that was going on with Jesus in his life and his public ministry. And, and we see, like I said, this wasn't um, very far into a timeline-wise into his public ministry, and yet we see at the conclusion of the sermon in Matthew 7, verses 28 and 29, um, it, it, it tells us that when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority quite unlike their teachers of religious law. Again, we see the impact that Jesus' words had. We see how, how um, Jesus not just said necessarily what they wanted to hear. In fact, he didn't oftentimes say what people wanted to hear, but, but he, he did teach in a different way. And even as we, as we read this, these concluding verses of the Sermon on the Mount, when, when it kind of points out how special Jesus' teaching was, but I think the, it also points out maybe how um, the other religious leaders of the time kind of lacked some authority, right, or passion or truth even in their teaching. And as we see that, we, we understand that as we've seen, as we've worked through uh, this already through these first few weeks, we've seen that the Sermon on the Mount wasn't necessarily what people expected. It, it didn't give the way of salvation or the gospel message. It didn't give a list of do's and don'ts of, of this, just do this, do that, kind of the religious expectations of the time. And again, that's what a lot of people were expecting. But again, we see in Jesus' teaching, whether it's the Sermon on the Mount or any of his teachings throughout the gospels, right, we, we definitely see and learn that Jesus' teachings oftentimes isn't what we expect, but it is always what we need. And that's a, just a part of, uh, it's a big part of your spiritual journey is just being able to be, to be submitted and open to God in your life and saying, okay, it, it might not be what I expect. It might not be what I think I want or need in my life, but, but God's like, but this is the better thing. And, and will you listen, right, and submit and follow God's leading in that to, to, to find the best? And again, the point of this sermon, the the reason that Jesus gave it, what it does teach is it answers the question of what our inner life will look like once you have been saved. Again, it doesn't tell us how to be saved or the, me the message of the gospel, but it does teach us what it means to really follow Jesus. Right? What it means to be on the spiritual journey and to be growing every day and, and how God is going to transform your heart and your mind. And as, as we continue to dive deep into this sermon, we are focusing on uh, this famous passage known as the Beatitudes. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. And again, this is basically the intro to Jesus' sermon. And so it summarizes the whole teaching in these nine verses. And then in the rest of the next two and a half chapters of Matthew, of the rest of five, chapter six and chapter seven, is the rest of the sermon as, as Jesus explains deeper how these eight attributes should truly look and affect our lives. So we're going to uh, read this passage this morning. If you have your Bible with you, you can open with me to Matthew chapter 5. 
Um, if you're with us in person and you don't have your own Bible, the Bible's provided for you. You're welcome to use. You'll notice the page number there where you can find it in those Bibles. We're going to look up here, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start with verse 3. It says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Again, this is this passage, the intro to Jesus' sermon. And again, we've been covering uh, each week, right, of, of one of these Beatitudes. We, so we've covered the first three. Um, and, and so now, uh, again, if you have missed any of those, those are all available online. I encourage you to go back and, and watch those as Pastor Gary taught the first two. And then last week, again, we looked at blessed, blessed are the humble. And so, again, as we looked at humbleness, we saw that there is a big difference between biblical and worldly humbleness. And a biblical humbleness is not a bad thing, but it will actually make you a stronger person uh, if you can truly uh, find the humbleness that Jesus describes. And now today we are to uh, the fourth one that Jesus gives us, and that is that God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. Now that is, again, the, um, the NLT translation, right, that, that we read here. Um, and the Bible that we use, again, and that I always preach from um, here at Oregon Trail. But, but this, again, is, um, there's a lot of things that the NLT translation does well, right? And it's one of the reasons why I like to use it for sermons, but... They're just like every translation, there are some things that it likely could have done better. Right? And now when we look at the, the more traditional, um, like King James Version, even NIV Version of this beatitude, okay, is that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And so as we look at this, and I just bring this up, and, and in fact, even on your outline, I put both translations, okay, because um, I feel like this is a, one of the areas that the NLT didn't translate this one very well. Okay, this is, a, this is a more modern translation, and I think with that is, you know, they've changed the word righteousness to justice. Now, that's not a bad translation. Okay, in fact, the, the connotation of the word that Jesus uses here in, in the Greek language, uh, it, it does include justice, okay, but it also includes righteousness. So again, it's not a misinterpretation, but, but it, it's a different translation, and especially in our English language, it brings a very different connotation in justice than righteousness. Now, especially in 2021, in our American culture today, that word justice has become a very a, a buzzword. Okay, and in fact, our culture has redefined that word in a lot of ways. And so that's why I wanted to bring it up today, just about the translation, of, of, to get to the core of what Jesus was teaching here, because we can come to this, when we see the word justice, it might bring up a lot of things in your mind. Again, if you Google the word justice right now, there, you'll find a wide swath okay, of different perspectives. 
And so this morning, though, for our purposes here as we study Jesus' words, I wanted to make sure that we, that we get the core of what Jesus said in the words that he used and what the connotations of those words are. So, again, this, the Bible's not originally written in English. It is a translation from another language. And just like when you translate from any language to another language, you, you, you lose some of the connotations of words. Okay, the, the, the word that Jesus uses here um, is, uh, is a Greek word that I can't say, so I'm not going to try and say it. Okay, but, but this is the definition okay, of the Greek word. It says, the, the direct definition of the word that Jesus used here is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice slash righteousness. It is the equity of character and action. It is justice and righteousness. Okay, and this word that Jesus used, again, with this definition, it is, it is a verb. It is an action word. Okay, now, it is, the, it is the verb form of another Greek word, Okay, and that word um, that is defined as innocent, holy, just, and righteous. And so when we see that, again, it's a, the word that Jesus used here is the, the verb form, the action form of, uh, of this noun, of, of, of innocent, holy, just, and righteous. In fact, it, it, as I was studying this week, and I, I found this, this explanation in, in one, of, one of my resources in a Bible dictionary, and it, it, it explained it in this way. It says, justice and love are the two sides of God's holiness. And so when we look at this word, this justice slash righteousness that Jesus describes here, is that this is literally a character trait of God. Again, it's not an attitude or a cultural perspective, but it's literally a part of God's character. Right? When you look at the different parts of God's holiness, there is the righteousness, the justness of God. And, and these are the two sides of the same coin. That God is a just God. And God is a loving God. Okay? And both of these combine to be a part of God's holiness. Does that make sense? Yeah, very different than the way our world has defined the word justice right now. Especially if you put the word social in front of justice. Okay, and then you get all kinds of, of interesting things. Now, again, I'm not downplaying that at all. Right? In fact, that, that is a part of what Jesus is describing here, but it is a small portion of what Jesus describes in this beatitude. This is a character trait of God himself. And again, we look at this, again, it's not just about works, but truly this beatitude is about doing the right thing, right? About justice, about righteousness, about our actions. In fact, this is the closest that Jesus ever gets in the Sermon on the Mount of giving us a list of do's and don'ts. They, our actions should be righteous. They should be moving us towards holiness, of us being more like Jesus with every step forward in our journey. Jesus takes us way beyond good works. Right? When we think about the gospel, the foundation of the gospel is that we do good works because of our salvation, not to earn our salvation. Right? And that is at the core of what Jesus is teaching in this beatitude. That because we are saved, we will do righteous things. Because we are saved, we will seek justice in our world. Right? Because we are saved, 
right? We will hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice. Again, Jesus doesn't say you just should do this, but he says you should, again, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for it. Right, think about this connotation. This adds in a whole nother level, right, of, of how important this is supposed to be in our lives. Because there's, you know, there, there's, a, there's this, this kind of feeling, right, of when you truly are thirsting for something. Or when you have this hunger for it, right? It's different than being thirsty or hungry. Right, if you're hungry, right, just anything will do. But if you have a hunger for ice cream, Right, that's the only thing that will satisfy. Right, if you, you can be thirsty, right, like, you know, be dehydrated, right, you water, Gatorade, anything is, will do. But if you have a thirst for something, that's what you need, right? Like a thirst for milk. Is it just me? Right, for those that, that know me, you know that I love milk. Hey, and, and, and with that, again, there, there, you, have a, you get a thirst for milk, hey, and where nothing else will, will quench that thirst, right? And if you need that, I, I want to um, show you just this whole, whole idea of, of just being thirsty versus a, a thirst or a, a deep craving. Hey, and so um, I want to show you this old Got Milk commercial from the 90s. This is my favorite commercial ever. I think it was one of the best commercials that was ever made. Okay, now, if you're watching online, I apologize that you're not going to see it, okay, because we don't have the rights to stream it. So if you're watching online, you'll just have to Google it later, okay? It's on YouTube. You can find it if you search Got Milk, okay, and Thirst, you'll find it, okay? But so those that are here in person, you, you guys get to watch it, all right? So here's, here's this commercial. See, that is a thirst, right? He's not just thirsty, right? But only milk will do. Right? And, and when you look at that, right, just think about that idea. Again, I, like I said, I think that's just a silly commercial, but I think it illustrates it very well of, of a thirst, a craving, a, a deep desire for something. And, and this is what, again, Jesus is describing here, this, this hunger and thirst. I can understand kind of a funny way to illustrate it, but I hope you get the point. Right? It's saying that not only do you desire it, but you pursue it. 
right? That you will put action behind that desire, right? That you will seek it out, that, that you'll drive to the store in the middle of the night if you have to, right? And that's how much your soul needs to yearn for justice and righteousness. Hey, Jesus isn't saying that he wants you to, saying you want righteousness, he's saying that nothing else will do in your life. And again, just like this connotation of the word that Jesus uses here is just how it's a, it's a, it's a character trait of God. He, Jesus is saying that this righteousness, this justice within you needs to be a character trait that is developing in your heart. That there's this process going on in your life and the transformation of, of your heart and your soul that is moving you in this direction. Hey, what Jesus is communicating here is that Jesus wants me to be righteous, not just do righteous things. Or Jesus wants me to be justice, not just do just things. Again, it's a character trait. It's a condition of your heart. It's, it's something that God, again, that as he transforms your heart and your mind, right, that he's moving you closer to this. It's, it's, a, it's a state of who you are. Right? It's a character trait. It's not just about outside actions. And like I said, this is the closest Jesus ever comes to a list of do's and don'ts. But this, this is why it's not a list of do's and don'ts, because because it's just something, that's just the list that you check off. It's just something you do, right? This righteousness, this justice is something that you are, is what Jesus is describing. In fact, we, we see this uh, here later in the Sermon on the Mount, later in chapter 5. Okay, we see that Jesus explains this entire concept in a deeper way, and he comes at it from a different angle. Okay, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, and then we're going to skip Skip to 20. Okay, where Jesus says, he says, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. And then skipping to verse 20, he says, But I warn you. Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now we see here, again, Jesus uses this, this concept of righteousness, right, of doing the right things. And again, Jesus right here is calling out religion. Right? He's saying you can't just do the right things and get to heaven. He says, you will never be able to do that. And you notice what he says in verse 20. He says, unless your righteousness is better than that of the religious teachers and the Pharisees. So in his sense here, Jesus is saying, he's like, even, even their righteousness, as good as they are at keeping in the law and living to that and all those things, is that theirs is not even enough to get them to heaven. And again, this is actually the closest that Jesus ever gets in the Sermon on the Mount to actually giving the gospel. Okay, but here he, give, he shows us how you, you, know, you go the wrong way to try and be saved. Right? How not to be saved. He says how not to be saved is just to live to the letter of the law the way the Pharisees and the religious leaders do. And he says that your salvation cannot be found in that way. Right? I mean, he, say, he gives us the stern warning. 
He's saying it would have to be even better than that. And, and as he calls out the Pharisees and the religious leaders of their time, who were really good at living by the letter of the law, by the way. But he says, even they will not do it. And, and yet he's calling out this, this, this deeper mentality, right? That you can't just do your religion on this side and then go about the rest of your life. He's saying, no, it needs to affect everything down to the core of who you are and the way you do life. And he was calling them out because the Pharisees and religious leaders of the time had a very similar mentality that we see in our world today. Because I, and I truly believe this is just part of the human condition. And that is we do what we can get away with. Just the human sinful condition is that we do what we can get away with. And that's, that's why people want a list of do's and don'ts and want their religion, because then they, they can clearly define, this is what I can do and this is what I cannot do, so now I know what I can get away with. Right? And I know how far I can push it. Right? And I can toe the line right, of, well, is this technically sin or is it not? Right? And, and well, will God forgive me if I do that? Because if he will, then maybe I'll just do it and ask for forgiveness. We, we have this mentality of that we do what we can get away with. And, and, and when we see that, again, Jesus was calling this out to them. And he was teaching us right, that, that because we are supposed to be righteous, not just do righteous things, because of that fact, then that naturally means a couple different things within our lives. And that as we continue to grow in our, in our faith and move forward in our journey, the first that we see that, because I need to be righteous, not just do righteous things, therefore, I need to avoid the do what I can get away with mentality. I need to avoid this mentality of do whatever I can get away with. Now, I, I know what you're thinking, right? No, I don't really do that. And, and again, I, the, we naturally like to, you know, look at our lives and say it and be like, I, yeah, I don't really do that. But the reality is we all do that. Again, confession, I'll tell you, I do that. Hey, because I am a very consistent five over the speed limit driver. Hey, I just, I'm confessing to all of you right now. Okay, and why? Because I know I can get away with it. Right? Because everybody else does it, right? That's, that's the excuse, right, that we have in our mind, and we justify it. Again, just one example, but we, we all live this way, don't we? And when we think about this idea, think about this concept of what Jesus is teaching. Again, after this statement here, at the end of chapter 5, as Jesus called out the law and, and what it's supposed to be accomplishing and why he came and, and all of these things, and he calls out the religious leaders about their do-what-they-can-get-away-with mentality. And then he moves on here after this statement through the rest of chapter 5, and Jesus gives six specific examples of ways that the Pharisees use this, mental, this mentality to justify their actions. And they are very applicable to us today, as much as they were to them. Okay, and Jesus teaches this concept over and over again through these six different specific areas of life. The first one we find is Jesus addresses murder in verses 21 through 26. Hey, I, but Jesus here, he, 
he, uh, he brings it up right here in verses 21 and 22 of chapter 5. Jesus says, he says, You have heard that your ancestors were told you must not murder. For if you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Yeah, this is in these, these first verses, and then Jesus goes on and explains a little more in through the next four verses about what he means. Okay, so Jesus takes, again, the letter of the law is, you should not murder. Right, and he's saying that, that's, again, that's the line, right, that God drew in the Ten Commandments, right, thou shalt not murder. And he said, and now, the, again, he's calling out the religious leaders here, and he's saying, like, you guys, okay, you're, you're very specific that you're not going to murder anybody. But then Jesus raises the bar, right? And he says, it's not just about technically not taking someone's life. It's actually about anger, right? Because if you are ever angry enough to even think about killing someone, then you're guilty of breaking the commandments. Now again, we can all, hopefully, we can all sit back and be like, yep, I can check off that box. I've not killed anybody. But can you sit back and say that you've never been angry? I can't. At least not honestly. Right? And Jesus takes this idea and saying like, hey, I that you say, the, again, the letter of the law is you should not murder, but it's not really about murder. It's about, again, the, 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 the motion in your heart, right, that will drive someone to murder. It's about anger. And, and Jesus, again, raised the bar, and he's like, that, that's the whole point of the law, right? Was, and that's what he says. He's like, I didn't come to abolish it. He's like, you still shouldn't murder, Right, like that's not why I'm coming to and bringing the gospel and bringing your salvation. Right, you still shouldn't do that, but it's more about than just not killing somebody. It's about the condition of your heart. It's about the anger in your heart that needs to be crucified and redeemed. Again, now Jesus does this in five more areas of life, and and so again, he starts with murder and anger, and then he moves on to adultery. And this is, again, where he says, like, it, it's not just about, right, the, the technicality of adultery, right, but it's about the lust in your heart, right? This is, again, where he says, if you ever look at a woman lustfully, then you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. And so, again, Jesus takes it. It's not about the letter of law anymore, right? It's not about, about just, you know, the, the line that you cross with adultery, but it's about lust. Right? Get rid of the lust in your heart. And then he brings up about divorce. And Jesus says, again, he says, well, you, you've, you've got all these kind of loopholes in the law about how you can divorce somebody. Right? And he's like, and again, Jesus is like, but if you make the commitment, then you sh- it's, it's not about divorce, a letter of divorce. It's about your commitment. And again, I want to pause and say this, is that I, as I feel like, right, that there are, when we talk about divorce, it's a sticky thing, because I know in our culture, right, there's a lot of people that are divorced. And to say that, if, if, and I believe that scripture teaches us, right, that you should not stay in, in an abusive relationship or in bad, there's, there I think are some valid biblical reasons for divorce. Yeah, and that, but what's coming here, though, is that what Jesus is calling out is about it's not, that they were divorcing out of convenience. 
well, I just don't want to work on it. I just don't want to be, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to cut and run. Right? And that's what Jesus is speaking against. It's about commitment. And then he moves on to, to again, to, to oaths, right? He's saying, like, you shouldn't take an oath, right? He's, again, just let your yes be yes, your no be no. And, again, he's coming to saying about, it's about, really about honesty. Are you saying, because if you're an honest person, you're following through, then, then you, don't, you don't ha- shouldn't have to take an oath, right? Because people will know that what you say you mean. Okay, just be honest in what you commit to. It, it, and then we, he, he tops it off, right, with this idea of, of uh, again, justice, right? And, and thinking about, again, we've talked about that, justice, and he's like, but, but it's not fair, right? How many times have we used that, that description, right? But it's not fair, right? And he says, well, it, it's okay if it's not fair, if, if you're living a generous lifestyle, right? It's not about the justice, the, 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 the legality of it, but it's about is, are, are you living a generous life, right? Because, like, okay, well, yeah, you know what? It's not fair. I did pay more for that than I deserve, but, but I'll be generous. Right? It, it's about, not just about justice, but generosity. And then we move into the, the last one that he brings up is, is revenge. Right? Is, will, will you take matters into your own hands, right, and, and, and take revenge on this person who wronged you? Right? And Jesus says, but instead, right, just be loving to them. Notice that these are, again, he takes the letter of the law, right, these signs, and then he raises the bar with these conditions of your heart. Jesus' point here is that if your inner heart and attitudes are right, then there is no need for the letter of the law. If you never get angry, then murder will not be an issue in your life. If you never lust, then adultery is not an issue. If you take your commitment seriously to the very end, right, then divorce is not just an easy get-out-of-jail-free card. If you're completely honest all the time, there's no reason to make promises or take oaths. If you are generous with everything, then you will never need to seek justice. It's okay if it's not fair. And if you're always loving towards everyone, then there's no reason to seek revenge. Jesus summarized that one by praying for your enemies. Now, notice what Jesus says here. He says in this passage in, in 5, 17 and 18, he says that God's law will remain until its purpose is achieved. Okay, now, I encourage you to underline that phrase. Okay, that God's law will remain its, until its purpose is achieved. And so, so the natural question when you see that is, so what's its purpose? Right? Because if the law is still here, then what's, and then its purpose hasn't been fully achieved. So what is its purpose? Okay? Its first purpose is to show us that we cannot save ourselves. That we need a savior. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what he said, right? He's like, your righteousness has to be far exceed the Pharisees, and then you might maybe be able to save yourself. But again, as we all know, that's impossible. Right? Even the Pharisees couldn't get there. Right? To where the law could not save them. Again, look back at that list. There is not a single person on this planet that could keep up that list perfectly on their own power. Right? Never get angry, never lust, never, you know. I mean, you can't do it. That's the first point of the law is, is that you, to realize that you need Jesus to step into your place, to pay your price, 
for your sin, right, so that God can still be just, right, because he is, it's a part of his character, he has to be, the price has still been paid, right, but Jesus paid it for you, because you couldn't do it on your own. That's the first purpose of the law. The next purpose, once you receive Jesus as your Savior, you pray and confess your sins, receive his grace and his forgiveness, and then you, you join the journey of faith. And then the next purpose of the law, as you move forward in that journey of faith, is to show us what is right and wrong. Right? To produce in us the right attitudes about life. And in this process of growth within your faith, and as you learn who God is, and, and how he transforms your heart and your mind, and as you move forward in, in your journey of faith, and be more like Christ tomorrow than you are today. Right? It shows us, again, what is right and wrong, and it will produce in you the right attitudes to the point where you don't need the law anymore. Right? Where my anger is under control, and so I don't need to worry about not murdering. Right? Where my lust is under control, and so I don't need to worry about adultery or impurity. Right? Where, where we see all of these things just, just it kind of, fade away because, again, I get away from the do whatever I can get away with mentality and I start to live out the, the, the holiness of who God is in my own life as I myself am transformed to be, to be more holy with every step forward in my journey. Right, we see the, the, the prophet I, uh, Jeremiah predicted this as he looked at the, the, the coming Messiah and about what, what the Messiah was coming to accomplish in Jeremiah 31, verses 33 through 34, it says, But this is the new covenant I will make with my people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord. For, for everyone, from the least to the greatest, will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. Again, the point of the law is to transform our hearts. To change the way you see the world. To see it from God's perspective, not ours. That's the point of the law. And again, Jesus didn't come to abolish it. He came to fulfill it. To do exactly what Jeremiah describes here. And if this is true in my life, if I'm truly growing and being molded by God and transformed my heart and my mind, right, then, then I will be righteous, not just do righteous things. And the more that, I, that, I, that becomes a part of my character, right, not only will I not have the do what I can get away with mentality, but I will also not live on technicalities or justifications. Right? I will not live on technicalities or justifications. And think about, as we write down these two really big words, and as you fill them in, okay, but just if, think about our justice system for a moment. Look at our world, think about our justice system. Have you ever wondered why we need lawyers in our justice system? Okay, because a lot of cases don't come down to if they did it or not. They come down to guilt. So if it was a matter of if I did something wrong, we wouldn't need lawyers. 
Because a defense lawyer's job is not to say if you did it or not. Their job is to find a way to explain how you technically didn't break the law or to justify why you shouldn't be punished for what you did. If you look at most criminal cases, the question is not whether they did it or not. Right, the question is, are they guilty? And, and how they get off, again, the lawyer's job is to find technicalities or justification for why they didn't technically break the law. Think about the other side of the justice system. Have you ever thought about why someone would ever turn themselves in? But people do it all the time. Right? Why would you turn yourself in if you're getting away with it? But yet they come forward and confess. Why? Because righteousness is written on your heart. Because that's who God is. And we are all created in God's image. And even when you get away with it, especially if it's a major crime, right, then it eats at your soul until you confess. If there's any part of God's holiness in you, you will turn yourself in eventually. As, as we think about this, this idea, this this. this character trait of justice and righteousness that, that comes from God that is put in us because we're created in his image. Right, that we're supposed to be righteous, not just do righteous things. Right, Jesus says if we can, we can get this and, again, confess and come to him, submit ourselves, and then receive his holiness right, as he transforms our hearts and minds, right, that we can get to this place as we move forward in our faith journey. He says if we do that, that we will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So, which leads us then to this question, right? Is do you want to be full or empty? Because Jesus is teaching us what, what it means to be filled, to be satisfied in your life. Again, as we look at the different translations, you look back at that, some of it say filled, some say satisfied. Right? And again, I'll just I'll throw that question out to you. And it's a rhetorical one. You don't have to answer out loud. But have you ever felt empty? Have you ever felt like something was missing? I think we all have, haven't we? Right? Even, especially when you, you, know, you work hard, you get what you, what you want. You think what you want, and then you get it, and you're like, yeah, it just it didn't bring what I thought it would bring in my life. I'm not satisfied. Have you ever felt empty? If we seek this, then Jesus says we'll be filled. What will, what will we be filled with? You'll be filled with that feeling that you can't explain. Just like you can't explain the empty feeling. You don't know what's really missing. I'll tell you what's missing is the Holy Spirit. Is the presence of God. Of his touch and his blessing. Right? God's desire for you is to never feel empty. To never feel alone. Again, this goes back to the whole concept of happy versus blessed. Again, Jesus isn't teaching us how to be happy. He's teaching us how to be blessed. Right? To be filled with who he is. To be satisfied. To be filled. Again, if we look at the translation of what Jesus 
uses here, this Greek word. The translation is to gorge, to supply food in abundance, or to satisfy. Jesus wasn't just saying that you will be filled, but he's saying that you will be filled to overflowing. Okay, that you will have this, again, feeling, this presence, this peace that you can't even explain. So full of your blessedness that it's spilling out of your life onto others around you. Filled to overflowing. Think about that. Wouldn't that be an awesome reputation to have? You want to go hang out with that person because when you hang out with that person, you get some blessed on you. Because their life is so blessed, it just spills out on you. Right? There's so much of, of God with that person that you just you feel a peace with them. Right? That, wouldn't, wouldn't that be an awesome reputation to have? Again, the whole idea of this, in fact, of all of the Beatitudes, is to, to grow to be more like God. And righteousness and justice is a part of God's nature. He is righteousness. He is just. And that is what Jesus is describing for us to be. We were created in his image, which means we were created to be righteous. We were not created to do evil. And that's where that empty feeling comes from, is when we just do what we can get away with. Right? It robs us of who God is and of his spirit. And therefore, being righteous is truly a part of my purpose for being alive. Again, a phrase that we use here in, 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 as it describes our journey and, and our vision of joining the journey, right, is that I want to be more like Jesus tomorrow than I am today. Right? As I take a step forward in my faith. And again, will you be more like Jesus tomorrow because Jesus is righteous and just? And so therefore, if I live out this beatitude, being righteous helps me fulfill my purpose as a human. And that's when you feel complete and full with no emptiness in your life. And that's why when we do the sinful things, because it, it leaks out, right? And that's why you feel empty. Again, think about those things in life that fill you up versus drain you. That's why doing the right thing fills you up, because it means you're doing what you're created to do. It fits, it feels right, it fills you up, and you're more like God when you live out his purpose. Again, righteousness, justice is described here by Jesus. It is, it's not an action, it's a state of being. I, I've tossed this around a lot through the last several weeks, and Again, I've had several conversations with Jason, our men's ministry director. We were talking about this, and one of the things that he said as we were talking about this concept was it's, it's, it's like a fruit of the Spirit. Right? The closer you get to God, the more righteous and just you become, right? And I think that's a great description. Right? It's not what you do. It's who you are. Which brings me to a final thought this morning, and that's this. Instead of doing what you can get away with, pursue righteousness then you'll be one huge step closer to being like Jesus. You say, I don't know where you're at in your faith journey today. Right? Maybe you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you've never joined the journey of faith. If that's true in your life, I hope that you will today because just as we've seen here, it is impossible to do this on your own power without God. So if you, if you are not a believer, then I hope you, if you can pray and accept Christ as your Savior today and you can start that journey. If you are a believer, are you 
moving forward in your faith? Are you being more like Jesus tomorrow than you are today? Right? If you are, then celebrate that. Right? If not, then commit to take the next step. And again, maybe it's one of these areas that Jesus describes today. Maybe it's something else. But again, whatever God's telling you to do to live out, to be transformed, I hope that you will make a commitment and follow through and be closer to him. Lord God, I thank you today that you have invited us into a different way of life. God, you've invited us into relationship with you. And God, we thank you that, Lord, that that relationship starts with you saving us. God, forgiving our sins, never thinking of them again. And Lord, that it starts this new journey of transformation within our hearts and our minds to be more like you, to be holy in our lives, to be just and righteous, to transform our character, to be more like you. And Lord, as we go this week, I pray, God, that we would continue in that journey. God, if there's someone that has never received you as their Savior, I pray, God, that you would help them to open your heart and your life and their life to you today, to find that salvation. And God, for those that have received you, God, that we would truly live out our faith, that we would grow and be transformed. Lord, in a way that we will show this world and show our culture what real righteousness and justice is. We'll show them who you are by our lives and by our ongoing faith. God, help us as we go this week to live out our faith and to truly be your church and to represent you well. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for walking with us through everything we face. Guide us as we go this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.